And now we come to uh, that satisfying part of our worship, our weekday worship, where we hear and read the will of uh, the Word of God. Uh, in a distant land and in another century, someone once informed me that she knew God's will for my life, and uh, she proceeded to lay out a fairly detailed path for my future. She was rather a mystical person, given a little bit to dreams and visions. I understand certain varieties of mushroom promote ecstatic and surrealistic experience. So she was probably a lover of mushrooms. Uh, I can't remember the details of the vision, but I will remember that it irritated me in a, in a very bad way. And I said to her, I find it strange that God doesn't tell me the secret of my own life because I do happen to have a, a relationship with him. Uh, actually, reflecting back on it after all these years, it did more than irritate me. It, uh, it provoked profound hostility in me. And now here I am today, another country, another century, and I'm going to speak on God's will for your life. Well, I promise you I didn't have any mushrooms last night. <laughs> but as I read the passage, I was in awe of the fact that it's very different to the way that I in general think about God's will for my life and very different to the way that people have communicated their desire to know God's will for their lives. Uh, Jesus said it so well in Matthew chapter 6 when he said, if you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There's far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. Don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the hard times come. And what I liked about that was that it takes all the fussiness out of it, all the jittery twitteriness, and you can say, oh, that's God's will for me without having to be hung up on all sorts of things. Now, one way to tattoo the scripture on your subconscious is to use a metaphor as a memory aid, and that will help you recall the detail. And so this morning, I'm going to use the metaphor of the Nile River. You can already see it on that slide, the barrenness with the river in the forefront. And uh, the, the Nile River then is, uh, begins in Central Africa. It's a vast basin. It begins in a vast basin which captures the moisture. moisture. This, this area is about 10% of the entire continent of Africa. Included in it are the range of mountains of which Mount Kilimanjaro is a part. It captures the moisture in its snowy mountain head. 
and uh, releases it through streams and rivers and glaciers. And a whole bunch of lakes feed into the immense Lake Victoria, more like an inland sea. And this is a steady source of supply for the river itself, which flows through the desert, bringing abundance to those living in the desert. They irrigate their fields from there. They bathe in it. They use it for cooking and for industry. Uh, Annually, the Nile River floods, bringing rich silt to refertilize all their, their lands. And then the river ends in a delta in the Mediterranean Ocean, which is a delta of abundant fruitfulness. Now, bear that in mind as I read the scriptures and I've overlaid some of those symbols so that you can get the the sense of where we're headed. Here then, the book of Colossians chapter 1, and starting at verse 3 in the New Living Translation. We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you heard, first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives uh, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Notice, we have not stopped praying and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. And this through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. Now, what does this life that is worthy of the Lord look like, that is pleasing to him? What is the will of God for your life? Well, he goes on bearing fruit in every good work, uh, growing in the knowledge of God. This is the delta of your life. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and strengthened with all power so that you may have great patience. And lastly, this is the will of God for your life, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of of light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. So we 
have now, as it were, been absorbed back into the atmosphere and shed back through the catchment basin to be part of the resource of the river flowing through the desert. Let us pray together. Please, dear God, may we not only understand these things, but may we live in them. We do not just want to read a manual on flying and sit on a couch and enjoy a book. We want to soar among the clouds. So please, Holy Spirit, take us there in the grace of Jesus and in the mercy of God. Amen. So what does the will of God look like for your life? Well, the first thing that God wants is that you should bear fruit, that your life should produce every kind of good fruit. So that is word, it's action, it's thinking, it's just the whole demeanor of who you are. Jesus confirms that this is an essential part of Christianity when he says in John chapter 15, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. To this end, he says, he prunes every fruit-bearing branch so that it will be even more fruitful. The book of Acts records the story of the early church. And within the the first 10 years, persecution of the church started and the church had to flee from Jerusalem. They left behind their homes, their jobs, their goods, their families who were not believers and they were forced to flee into the furthest region sometimes of the Roman Empire. And when the Apostle James, the brother of Jesus, writes to them, he writes to the 12 tribes scattered. And the word scattered that he uses means seed scattered. And what he is saying to them is that, yes, it's true, you have had to flee and leave everything, but you are seed who has been scattered. And he picks the image of the old-time farmer who would walk with a bag of seed on his hip and put his hand in and sow the seed. And the reason that he did that was that he was waiting for the harvest. And so as we begin to understand the will of God for our lives, we know that Jesus affirms that. And now here comes the Apostle James, the brother of Jesus, saying, You have been scattered by God, and you are actually a seed. So take root wherever you are, and begin to grow wherever you are, and bear fruit wherever you are. And these are the two perspectives that are the key to fruit bearing. You are exactly where God wants you. For some people, this will be very hard to accept. You had wanted a different job. You wanted to be in a different place in your life. Maybe you wanted your marriage to be very different to the way it's turned out. Maybe you wanted your children to be very different to the way they've turned out. Maybe you didn't even want to live in St. Louis at all and here you are. And you may feel you stuck. And here comes the word of God. 
you are sown exactly where God wants you. So change your perspective. And the second thing that is essential to fruit bearing, he provides the resources. Wherever you are, whether you like it or not, the resources will never change. And that's what the rest of God's will for your life is all about. Many examples of those in the Sahara Desert spring to mind that they bore fruit and glorified God wherever they were. And so it's not as if there are no examples of this. Jesus himself is the prime example. It's just that you need to wrap your mind around it and say, Oh, okay, God, if that's the case, let me continue in your will. So here's the second part. That you are to be growing in the knowledge of God. The Apostle Paul uses a very unusual device when he uses the word knowledge. He takes the regular word for knowledge and he marries it to a preposition. And he says that you may be growing in the epi-knowledge of God. This preposition intensifies the knowledge and brings it down to the level of experience. Uh, perhaps I can put it in this way. A young man one day says, you know what, I think I'd like to get married and have a family. And so off he goes to the library and he gets out Webster's Dictionary and he looks up the word woman. And he reads, oh, that's what a woman is. And then he goes to the computer in the library and he Googles marriage. And up come articles and he follows links and he discovers all about marriage. And, and then he goes uh, to Wikipedia and he does some more reading about women, marriage and dating and courtship. And then he leaves the library and he says, well, I think I'm ready for marriage now. And here comes a young lady walking along the sidewalk and he checks with his mental knowledge that he's got and he says yes I think that's one I think that's a woman and so he goes up to her and he says will you marry me <laughs> well you see that's how some people approach their Christianity they've learned the Bible some people have been learning it since they were two bricks and a layer of spit high at their mother's knee and they've heard all the stories and they know so much about the Bible that they can flip it open and look at it all, but they actually don't know God at all. They just have all this head knowledge. And so the Apostle Paul says, no, I want you to experience, I want you to have a friendship, I want you to have a growing love affair with God. That's God's will for you. Now, isn't that delightful? You thought you just had to sit and do googling. <laughs> and God says, no, no, there's a relationship that we want here. And when we think of growing in knowledge, we naturally think of more things to do. And sometimes well-meaning and sincere Christians will actually lead you in this pathway. You want a deeper, richer life with God? Well, you know what? You should pray more. And so you start getting up an hour earlier to do that and Fall asleep within five minutes, if you like me. 
oh, you should study more. You should go to this group and that group and get a concordance and read more. You should worship more and fellowship more and be more accountable and yada, yada, yada just never ends. The things you have to do to grow that friendship with God, which is all of the nature of the man going into the library and getting more knowledge. And so friendship is delightful, is it not? Because it depends not on all those things. Those things become important afterwards because I really love my wife. I want to read books on marriage and and understand more about the dynamics of our relationship. But the relationship itself transcends all of that. And the friendship begins with a gift that she offered me the gift of friendship and I said thank you and then I gave her the gift of friendship and she said thank you and then out of that giftedness a new depth arrived and one day my heart started entering into the conversation and as the conversation started to embrace heart and mind I began to think she's the one. And so it developed in that way. And that's the way your friendship with God develops as well. And that's why Jesus says, when uh, he comes to, to talk about it, he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I'm here. All you have to do is open the door. And that means saying, thank you. Thank you for the gift And then he begins to explore the gift of friendship with you. And it ripens and deepens and the heart begins to get engaged. And the friendship becomes a loving relationship. And that is exactly the way that this will develop with God. Uh, You see, if you think about the relationship between friendship and fruit bearing, you can think about it in these terms that actually... The tree that bears the fruit does nothing. The gardener selects the stock, let's say a grapevine, a hardy stock that is resistant to disease and insects and drought and whatever else. He grafts in a choice varietal. He finds the right slope of soil mix and sun mix, plants the vine, then he irrigates the vine and he prunes it and he looks after it and protects it when there's frost. And in the end, the vine bears fruit because of the relationship of the gardener to the vine. And the vine never sat there at midnight on a dark night saying, I wish there was more light, and then repeated the mantra, I've got to bear fruit, I've got to bear fruit, I've got to bear fruit. It just happened. And this is how God's grace works. He comes and knocks at the door and we say, thank you. And he comes in and begins to fellowship. And we say, thank you some more. And he knocks again. And he keeps knocking. And we keep saying, thank you. And the relationship develops. And out of that comes the fruit. 
So the third element of God's will for your life, and you see how little fussiness there is about this? It's not bothering with where I live and what I should wear and anything of that nature. It goes way beyond that. And the third element will answer your difficulty because you are still maybe saying, Oh my, I don't know if I can do this. I'm not sure if I've got the energy. I don't know if I've got what it takes. And so the third element of God's will for your life is very gracious. He says, I pray constantly that you will be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. The first thing you should notice is that this is a passive verb. Doesn't say you go and strengthen yourself. You go into the spiritual gymnasium and start doing workouts and exercises and taking spiritual steroids and building these big muscles which you can oil and show on stage. <laughs> no, he says you are being strengthened. This is something God is doing. How, how do you know you've been strengthened? Well, look back in your life. You're still here, aren't you? You remember how John Newton put it, through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come, and grace will see me home. So look back in your life. What has God already brought you through? How did you do that? Well, you didn't do it. You were strengthened to do it. And so this is an exceedingly gracious word, and then he adds on to it, with all power, God's not going to withhold any of anything that is necessary for you according to his glorious might. Not according to your need or your capacity or what you've earned, but according to his glorious might in order that two things may happen, that you may have great endurance and you may have great patience. Because let's face it, the Christian life needs endurance. Jesus said so. He said, you're going to be my disciple, count the cost. This isn't going to be a little flash joy thing. This is going to be a Tour de France thing. And the endurance has got to do with signing up for the race. A marathon every day for a month is what the, the Tour de France is. And the patience, well, the patience is the day-by-day dealing with the issues that arise on the race. So you've got people jostling you. You've got idiotic people waving flags in your face and pushing each other into your pathway. Somebody's going to cause you to smash. But you're going to have great patience and get up and keep going because you are being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. And lastly, the will of God for your life is that you will joyfully give thanks to the Father. Every one of us generates atmosphere. Wherever you go, there's an atmosphere that you generate. For some people, the atmosphere is entirely negative. They're always complaining. They're always saying, why this, why that, why the next thing? It's so unfair. Uh, somebody else is to blame. I really don't know why this has to happen to me. And they're generating negative atmosphere. 
You may think that what the Apostle Paul is saying is just stop complaining. But that too is generating an atmosphere of non-participation. You can often see it in a worship service. Some people refuse to get involved in the worship. And they generate something around them. Well, imagine you are doing that with your whole life. You are just not, you're not doing negative stuff, but you're just generating this non-participatory attitude to everything that happens around you. But now the apostle says, no, you want to be joyfully. That's not a little tight smile on your face. You want to be joyfully giving thanks to the Father. You may say, well, I'm in the Sahara here and really my roots are being scorched and my eyeballs are being seared and my skin is being sandpapered by these wretched high winds that blow sand all over the place. There is nothing to be thankful about. And I believe that there are people who are in just those circumstances right here in this auditorium. So what the Apostle Paul does is something rather wonderful. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. And what he's doing is he's turning you around. You've been looking out into the desert. And he says, let's turn you around Look at the river flowing at your feet. Trace it upstream. Look at the source of the great lake of God's hope and the faith and the mercy that he's poured into that lake. And go beyond it and see the snow-capped mountains of the Trinity up there. And all of a sudden you're saying, thank you, Father. Because you're not looking at the desert, which is not a nice sight. But you are looking at the one who has qualified you to share in this amazing provision. And as if that's not all, he says, wait, I'll give you more stuff to be thankful for. For he has rescued you. We'll talk more about this in the rest of Colossians. He has rescued you from the kingdom of darkness. And then he didn't rescue you and leave you on the sidewalk and say, there, there, now get on your way. No, he transferred you into the kingdom of his dear son. And who is this dear son? Well, he purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. And all of a sudden, the joyfulness and the thankfulness breaks through the logjam of our circumstances and through the misery of where we find ourselves and we're able to say wow now if this was a a google thing on your computer you would want to draw back uh, using that zoom feature and this is what you would say is a snapshot of your spiritual life This is the map of your spiritual life. So God's will for your life is that you recognize this and enter into it with great thanksgiving. uh, Because if you don't, the opposite is that the devil will start saying to you, 
you know, you don't really deserve to be in the Sahara Desert this morning. And he will insinuate some doubt. And with the doubt will come the complaints. God, uh, really, this is not fair. I deserve better. And the way to get over that is to go even further back in the Zoom feature and say this, your life is instricably linked to the majestic glory of the Father. Uh, so what was that desert song again? Yes, it's very real. It's very true. But wait a minute. Look at the snow-capped mountains there. Thank you, God. I can bear fruit here. I can be Jesus in these circumstances. And ultimately, the great Charles Spurgeon put it in these words, God's sovereignty, you find yourself in the desert, God's sovereignty is a bed of nails to those who resist it and a feather comforter to those who accept it. And what does faith do? Faith flings itself onto the feather comforter. So let's do that together in prayer.